Hello, new life. My name's Katie. It's so nice to be with you. You guys, I'm so sorry. I can't be there with you. I hope you enjoyed lockdown, though. What a beautiful three days. And I hope that you all Instagrammed, you know, the macrame and the sourdough that you guys all made while you were incarcerated. Actually, did you know that um, during extended lockdown last year, people like you were baking sourdough and finding cures for cancer or whatever? I, I was learning how to do cartwheels. Yeah, that's right, cartwheels. And I'm really good at them now. And if I was with you in person, I could show you. But unfortunately, someone ate a bat and now I can never go to Queensland ever again. So that sucks. And I'm so sad that I can't be with you. But on the bright side, I've now got so much virgin travel credit that I'm pretty sure I can buy my own plane now. But hey, I love you guys. We love you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And I just, again, I just wish I could be there with you in person. I feel like the Apostle Paul longing to be with you in person. Whatever. You will also notice that I am wearing beautiful attire. And Lockie said I shouldn't mention this, but I'm wearing trackies because I forgot I was filming today. But I tell you what, can you do this in your outfit? Mm -mm. Anyway, amazing. So I have been tasked with closing out your Ephesians series. I love the book of Ephesians. It has been thoroughly formative in my life. And we're going to look into the concluding remarks and instructions from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And I'm so excited about this because Ephesians 6, when it's understood correctly, becomes a superpower for a follower of Christ. So buckle up. That's what we're going to be doing. Straight Bible teaching. Turn to your neighbour and ask them, did you eat a bat? Right. Amazing. Okay. On that note, why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, we invite your presence and your inspiration to this space. We ask that you will captivate our attention, that you will arrest our narrative, that you will open us up to the possibility of kingdom work. And we ask God that you will show us through this teaching more of your ability, teach us how to trust you, to lean on you, to do everything that we can to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right now, Father, we just submit this time to you. We ask that you will use it to shape us and form us. So, Lord, we need your help in this. We need your presence. So come, Holy Spirit, and do what you will. Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Ephesians is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. We have Paul writing especially in the first three chapters, about the reality and the power of the gospel, of our salvation. And it frames our understanding. He literally takes so much time to frame, do you get what this means? Do you get what the cross means? Do you get what Jesus' resurrection means? Do you get what the gospel is? Do you understand the heart of God's grace for all of humanity? Do you appreciate what he wants his church to look like, Jew, Gentile. Do you get that you're going to put off the old way of living that you had and you're going to take on this new way of living that has been made possible through the finished work of the cross? The book of Ephesians is a masterpiece. And Paul goes into great detail 
to form us spiritually and frame the spiritual in the practical. So he teaches, as you will have learnt these recent weeks, about how the gospel can inform and shape your thinking, can inform and shape your relationships, your choices, your attitudes, your inner life, the way that you understand church and mission and the way that you appreciate yourself as part of the full body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. And so it's beautiful. And so when I read the book of Ephesians, I see a book of transformation, Ephesians is a book about the transforming work of the gospel and the part that transformation has to play in our spiritual life and in our practical everyday living as followers of Jesus. And so Paul has taken great pains through chapters one through five, or almost a sort of six and a half, to lay it out for us. This is the gospel. This is the fullness of God's grace to you. This is his plan for the church. This is how it all needs to work together as the body of Christ. This is how you need to relate. This is how you live. This is how you guard against. And then he gets to the end and he says, now finally, in light of everything that I've just said to you, in light of chapters 1 through 6.5, this is what I need you to hear. So remember, he's taken pains to lay out a foundation that culminates in this final instruction. So prick up your ears and we're going to listen. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for the Lord's people. And pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, Paul's writing this from prison. He is incarcerated and yet he asks the people to pray for him. Not that he will be freed from prison, but that he will be able to fearlessly, to boldly proclaim the gospel, to make known the mystery of the gospel. His entire orientation, regardless of whether he is imprisoned or free, whether he is being persecuted or not, is pray for me that I might have the boldness to declare the mystery of the gospel. It's incredible. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful passage of scripture. And if we get our heads around it, it will supercharge us. Incredible. So Paul says, finally, in light of all these things, then 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 10. Why do we need to be strong in the Lord? And how is that reality challenged in our culture? Paul says you need to be strong in God because your strength in and of yourself is insufficient. Paul knows this better than just about anyone. In uh, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, Paul says, I cried out to the Lord and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 chapter 9, Paul's crying out to God to say, take this thing away from me because it's preventing me from doing what I need to do. And God replies by saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul goes on to say, therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weakness, about my inability, about my insufficiency, so that Christ's power might rest on me. Finally then, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power in his mighty power. Be strong in that because what God has for you to do, New Life Church, is going to require extension beyond your natural ability. It's going to require you to move past what you are able to resource, what you are able to manage in and of yourself. It may even feel overwhelming, but the reality is, is that God doesn't go, oh, well, you know, in that case, oh, just, you know, do what you can. Just You know, nobody gets to tap out from the great command and the great commission because you're navigating a tricky season. But the grace of God is sufficient for you in all seasons. And so Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because let me say this to you, new life. If you can do it in your own strength, if it doesn't require you to throw yourself fully onto the mighty power of God, then it's not a holy calling, but more likely it's a hobby. So we don't want hobbies, nothing wrong with hobbies, but we don't want to confuse a hobby with a holy calling. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power because you're going to need the strength of God to get done what it is that he's planted in your heart. Which brings me to a question. What is your vision? When I was praying for you, I felt the Holy Spirit just whisper to me, What is their vision? Increase your vision. Because New Life, I don't want you to have a vision for church growth. That will happen. Praise God. I don't want you to have a vision for a comfortable, peaceable life. Although that would be wonderful. And in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to have a vision for a nation. I want you to see yourself as the bride of Christ, as fully equipped, strengthening God and in his mighty power because the transformation work that we have learned about through Ephesians must spill out and pour over beyond your borders, beyond into every sphere of influence. And new life has the great privilege of finding itself across the breadth of the human experience. And so I ask you again, and I want you to ask the question of your loved ones and in your connect group and in your prayer life, God, give me a vision. What is the vision? What is it that you want to seed in my heart? What is it that you want me to partner with you to do into the future? Because unless you birth it, unless you seed it, I'm going to think that a hobby is a holy calling. I'm going to be doing nothing really that effective, but calling it something. I'm going to be dallying in a comfort zone and making it spiritual. So God, lift my eyes 
to the level of your ability, to your might and to your power and give me a vision. Send me to do something that's going to require your might and your power at every turn. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, Paul is writing here to a church that is under pressure. They're being persecuted. They're young. They're being formed. They're dealing with internal politics, a whole range of things. And he knows that their only hope of remaining fruitful, of remaining effective, of continuing to grow is if they anchor themselves in the reality of who God is which is why he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So new life, when I ask you these questions about vision, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed because you're thinking, oh no, I can't add another thing on my to-do list. No, 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 no. I want you to now ask God to recalibrate your thinking so that you find yourself smack bang in the centre of God's to-do list. So I want you to think of every impossibility, every challenge, Every apparently insurmountable odd that is coming against you, I want you to think of these things, new life, as an opportunity for the God you learned about in Ephesians 3.20, just three chapters earlier. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. You cannot measure it. It is beyond what can be measured. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can ask, think, or even imagine. According to what? His power at work within you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So let me say to you again, see everything that seems impossible as an opportunity for the Ephesians 3.20 God to show off. So God, please come. Invade our narrative and start showing off that you might be seen, that you might be glorified and that your church would rise to be the centre of everything that she may be purposed, that she may live out the great command and the great commission with evidence of your power at every turn. In uh, Psalm 16, King David is writing a very humble, beautiful psalm. And, you know, when somebody, you know, when a preacher comes up with some hot take on like, do this, do that, rah, and, you know, you've got stuff going on and it's like, oh, gosh, another thing and get fired up and buzzword this. How do you strengthen yourself in God? It's like, yes, God, I get that you are stronger than me. Okay, uh, so I will be strong in that and then I get rattled by something and then I get knocked off course and I don't know and then I feel guilty and I feel shamey because I'm being a bad Christian, blah, 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 right? So how do you do it? So in Psalm 16, King David's writing this really personal psalm. He's writing out of a place of brokenness and vulnerability and he ends up rallying towards the end of that psalm and he says in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. In other, in other translations it says, um, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. So I've set my, uh, the Lord always before me and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In other words, David is saying here that the reason that I'm not going to be shaken is because God is right here. He fills my view. He is close enough for me to smell him, to touch him, to know that he is there at all times. His... Um, presence, the reality that he fills my view. He's the first thing and the biggest thing that I see. And that shapes my perspective on anything and everything that comes my way. Because David's not saying, because God's at my right hand, nothing will ever happen to me that's bad. He's saying, 
because you are at my right hand, because I am strong in God and in his mighty power, I will not be shaken. Shaking will happen, but we will never be shaken when God is at our right hand, when we strengthen ourselves in God. In uh, the book of Chronicles, it says our, we, our trust is not in chariots, but our trust is in the strength of God. Amen? Come on. So good. So, my grace is sufficient for you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then in verse 11, it says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What now? The, the what now? I live in suburbia. We own kayaks. I'm a very nice person. I pay my taxes and I keep to the speed limit mostly. You want me to take a stand against the devil's schemes. First of all, that sounds corked. Secondly, the armour of God. What are we talking about here? So what we have to realise here is that Paul is not saying anything lightly. He's saying, hey, the devil is a liar who has come to steal, kill and destroy. And he has schemes that are coming against you that are coming against God, that are setting themselves in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. And because of that, you need to suit up. So put on the full armour of God. Verse 12, for our struggle, now listen to me, new life. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So therefore, because this is the reality, this is now what you need to do. You need to put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can stand your ground. In other words, I've been planted here and I'm not going to move. I'm going to stand my ground. And that is what I am going to do because I have set the Lord always before me and I have appreciated now that there are schemes. There are forces of evil and darkness that are coming against me. So Paul says, put on the full armour of God, wise up, get savvy, suit up, because this is your reality. So we fixed ourselves on our source of strength, but now we get into the practical of it, because we're not fighting against flesh and blood, so we don't want to bring, you know, like a gun to a knife fight, or whatever that saying is. And I think sometimes we maybe don't appreciate the reality of spirituality. It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, because it's something we can't control, right? It's something otherworldly. It's something that maybe you've had a bad experience with. You went to a church and it was all a bit cooked and, you know, it felt a bit weird and, you know, nobody wants to be like, like old mate crazy eyes, you know. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a demon. We're not scared. What relatable content, you know? We don't want to be like that. Like we're fine with signing off on the fact that Jesus died and was physically resurrected from the dead. But when we start talking about the reality of spiritual forces and forces of evil and the devil's schemes coming against me, coming against the church, it weirds us out. And we don't want to be weird. And we must not be weird. Paul's not saying this to you so that you can go, oh, okay, well, let's all be weird and go hunting for demons every five minutes. He's just saying, hey... We need to have a framework which allows for the reality that there are spiritual forces, that there are two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, and they are working against each other. The devil hates you. The devil hates God and everything the kingdom of God stands for. And so he tries to destroy it in every way he can. And frankly, if I'm anything to go by, sometimes he doesn't need to work that hard. Are you with me? 
And so Paul's saying, get wise to this. Be connected to the reality that we exist, we minister, we live, we relate in a spiritual sense. And not all of that is angels singing and unicorns feeding us communion or whatnot. But there is darkness and there is evil and there is the demonic. And we need to start practicing speaking about that, finding language to speak about it, to teach our children so that they can equip themselves for the reality of what it looks like to be the church today, right now. So Paul says, we're in a battle. He's not like, you know, getting all like mythic quest about it, like, you know, let's all don our leather aprons and, you know, storm the ramparts where there's monsters or whatnot. He's just saying there are opposing spiritual forces and they are coming to destroy you. They're coming to destroy the church. They hate you and you need to be aware of that because you don't fight against people, you fight against spiritual forces. So wise up to that. Suit up, get in the game, amen? So then they talk about, he talks about the armour of God. The armour of God and everything he says is like metaphorical. Now remember, Paul's in prison. He would have literally had his ankle chained to the ankle of a Roman guard at all times. He would have slept in the same room as a Roman guard. And so every morning, he would have watched a Roman guard get dressed, which, you know, is unusual or not desirable. And so, you know, that's his framework. He watches it and he's thinking about it in terms of a spiritual outworking. And so he talks about the armour of God. Now, here's what I want you to hear from me today, that we're instructed to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? Because what God is calling his church to, what he is calling you to, has to go beyond what you are able to do in your own strength. Otherwise, God won't get the glory. God won't be revealed. Is it a hobby? Is it a holy calling? So strengthen yourself in God. Set God always before you. And now we have to acknowledge the reality, however uncomfortable that might be for us, that there are spiritual forces in play and there are evil forces, demonic forces that are seeking to knock you, me, the church, off course, to destroy that which God says is good. And so we see then in this beautiful book of transformation through Ephesians chapter 1 through 5 to 6 and a half essentially, we see that the armour of God is actually the outworking in our lives of what Paul has talked about from Ephesians 1 through 6. It's the spiritual reality that comes from a complete and full understanding of our salvation, of the person of Jesus of the heart of God for humanity, of the way God has built his church, of the way the body of Christ is structured, how we should live and think, deal with conflict, live in our families. All of that is laid out for us. And he says, you have the imperative to share the gospel. It's so important that you have right and righteous thinking and acting. You need to appreciate the fundamental power of the word of God. And Paul is teaching all the way through the book of Ephesians, this is what's going to protect you. This is what's going to equip you. This is what's going to inspire you. This is what's going to uh, hem you in when you are being tempted or challenged by lesser realities. 
And he wants to keep you safe and effective in all seasons. And so when we're talking about the armour of God, if we actually break it down, the armour of God has been fully explained to us in every single chapter of Ephesians to this point. But the thing is that we don't need armour if we're not going into a battle. Like, you don't just kind of like, you know, put it on. You're like, look at me. Look at you. You look good. You look good in that helmet, son. Like, look at us. A couple of dapper dans in our armor. You don't, like, it's not dress-ups, okay? This is real. But you don't need armor unless you're going into a battle. And unless we sign off as the church who have been entrusted with a vision for the nations, who have been entrusted with the region of the Gold Coast to see the glory of God, to see the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven, unless we get that there is a massive spiritual element to that, that the whole thing is spiritual and the whole thing is a spiritual battle. And if we don't avail ourselves of what God is gifting to us to enable us to stay on course and remain effective and be strengthened when we feel like things are impossible, you won't need armour. You know, when the soldiers weren't in battle, they wouldn't wear their helmets, they wouldn't wear their breastplates because it was heavy, they didn't need it. You know, they were just going about their business, getting a bubble tea, whatever. But when they went into battle, best belief that went on. And he's saying, you know, he's not trying to be alarmist about this, but he's like, suit up because you're in a spiritual battle, whether you like it or not. So suit up and get involved because God is with you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power so that when you have done everything to stand and to stand firm then, and you do that by putting on the full armor of God. So let's understand the full armor of God because it comes from a God. It's a gift from a God whose power is matchless, whose passion for humanity is beyond limit. And he's saying, I'm sending you to go and do that. So vision for a nation, spiritual warfare isn't like it's laid out in this passage. It's not about doing more. It's about partnering with God using what he has made fully and freely available to you. It's about partnering with God and putting to use the things he's given you to get it done. You are not ill-equipped. You are not vulnerable in this space. If you step into the strength of God, put on the full armour of God and understand what that is, then you, my friend, will be powerful. You will be a deadly weapon to the darkness. And I'm not saying that like it's like a guest preacher hot take, This is a reality that Paul is very soberly articulating. So putting on the armour of God is a spiritual power that comes from a lived outworking of Ephesians 1 through 6. All right, so let's, let's dig into it, hey? Put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. In other words, the gospel Put that on. Let that shape your thinking. Get it. Get how incredible it is what God has done for you. Understand the grace of God, the passion of God for you. Put on the helmet of salvation. Let it cover the way that you think. Put the belt of truth around your waist. In other words, think correctly. Truth matters. Truth is absolute. There's not your truth and my truth and you do you. The only power that comes is when our truth is absolute. And God says, put on the belt of truth. And you know, the sword hung off the belt. The offensive weapon hung off the belt of truth. And so the power, the ability of somebody to go into battle carrying a sword hinged literally 
on whether or not they had truth wrapped around their waist. Are you with me this morning? New life, right thinking, an understanding of the gospel, truth, the truth of God, the truth that is, I am the way, the truth and the life, the truth, wrap it around yourself. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, righteous living. Everything that Paul has talked about. Then we have the shield of faith. In other words, put your faith in God and put God, Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The shield of faith, which means that how I understand God sits between me and whatever is coming at me. Incredible. Then we have the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. Ephesians talks about the imperative of the church to share the gospel, to be ambassadors for Christ, to glorify God in our choices, to let the glory of God spill over so that people look at us and see something of Jesus. So the shoes of the gospel of peace is the imperative to share the gospel. And then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. So all of these concepts come from Ephesians 1 through 6. And Paul's now saying, the devil wants to steal, kill and destroy. We live in a spiritual battle. So you strengthen yourself in God and you suit up by doing all of the things that I've taught you. By living In the reality of your salvation, sitting humbly under your baptism and the grace of God that was shown to you through the work of the cross. And in response to that then, have truth at the centre, have righteous living, righteous choosing, righteous relationships. Put your reality, your perception, your view of God in front of you and anything that is coming at you. Put on the shoes that make you nimble agile and ready to share the gospel and take up the sword of the spirit, wield the word of God, have it in you, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. This is the armor of God. This is an incredibly practical way that we can stand firm when the day of darkness comes, when the schemes of the devil are trying to trip you up. You won't need armor for a battle you're not in. You won't need armour in your comfort zone. You won't need the strength of God unless you are pursuing a holy calling. And I tell you what, I'm excited, new life, by what God might be dropping into your spirit right now, dropping into your heart, giving you a vision for the future, how you're going to partner with him and put yourself at the centre of God's to-do list. You know... Paul then finishes up by saying, hey, it doesn't stop with armour. That gets you ready. That's your prep. That's your strength. That girds you. That's a framework for you to live and breathe and move and minister and relate. That's a framework for you, but now you've got to do this thing. It doesn't stop with the armour. You suit up for battle and then you pray. You're ready to go. So it's suit up in your armour, put on the full armour of God, stand firm and finally pray in the spirit on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. God's not saying pray the right thing. He's saying ask the Spirit to inspire your prayers so that my agenda becomes close to your heart and pray 
and be alert and be watching what's happening and pray into that and keep on praying. So be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be aware that the reality is that you're in a spiritual battle whether you like it or not. So get into the battle. But before you do, put on this armour, live out Ephesians 1 through 6 and then pray. And pray in the Spirit and pray all kinds of prayers and pray on every occasion. Don't just suit up in your armour and go, cool. Suit up and pray. Put on the full armour of God and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And pray for me also. Pray for your leaders. That whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So strengthen God in his mighty power, setting his strength before you, putting on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand and stand firm when things are hectic. Understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the evil schemes of darkness. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the, breast, uh, the shield of faith, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and the sword of the Spirit, and pray, and pray again, and pray for all the things, all of the time. Be alert and pray. Suit up, pray, be alert, keep on praying, keep on doing it. So let me pray for you as we finish. Jesus, I pray that you will give us not a hobby, but a holy calling. I pray you will give us an insatiable appetite for the impossible. God, I pray for every person in their season who's asking the question, I don't know if I can do more now. Lord, shape our thinking and our reality that we might see the inspiration and the joy that comes from finding ourselves in the centre of your will. Lord, forgive us where we have tried to shape you around what we want. So Father, I pray now that you will give us deep wisdom when it comes to the things of the spiritual realm, that we might be wise and shrewd and bold and courageous and intensely practical in how we go out living our Ephesians 1 through 6 framework for life. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it shapes us. And Holy Spirit, we now invite you to come and speak to minister. And we will wait on you, Lord as you show us what is next and how we can partner with you in seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.